Hello and welcome to the battlefield with Father Michael Marcantoni and me, Father Joseph Collins, where we are sharing the Christian message of hope and endurance amidst the struggles and suffering of life. Father Michael, it is good to be with you again. Why don't you tell our friends out there in podcast land where they can find us online and listen to us? Absolutely. Great to be here again. Great to record. Uh, Of course, On the Battlefield can be found on our main platform, which is Anchor FM. Also by searching On the Battlefield podcast on social media, uh, Facebook and Instagram. We do most of it over Facebook, but nonetheless, uh, also over Instagram and Anchor FM shares us out over uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. So you can find us on a variety of platforms. Please share, comment, send us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you and turn this into a dialogue rather than a monologue. So Anchor FM, Facebook and Instagram, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Indeed. Yeah, we do thank everyone out there for listening and for the questions and the comments that you do leave on Facebook. I know that Father Michael uh, interacts with Facebook a little bit more than I do. and we put I, a, I don't we know put if it's a, my age, but I really hate Facebook. So. You're like a year older than me. I, I, <laughs> you're, you're like a year older than me, if that. And, Aren't you a millennial? Oh, no, 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 no. I have a work ethic. Don't start there. I've got. I, Most I, of our I've listeners got, are millennials, so go easy. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, guys. Here, let me I'll get them a, <laughs> a participation trophy. But the, uh, no, but a, as it were, uh, we also, on the Facebook page, we do post other content as well. So that's the that's the uh, advantage to that particular platform is it's, yes, it's the podcast. It's also other related content that uh, is along the same theme. And so if you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast, you can kind of keep that going through the down weeks and, and hopefully find some inspiration in the other content as well. Yeah. I, I, after, after we uh, get through Pasca, I plan to uh, particip- participate a little bit more with the Facebook uh, platform and the Instagram stuff. But um, for now, I'm taking a class in church administration, which takes up the remainder of any free time that I may or may not have. But, you know, such as life. Uh, so, Father, we've been talking about demons, how they interact with our lives, and uh, enjoying it together. And I think that the listeners are enjoying it too, but I know that the two of us have been enjoying it. Though it is not easy talking about demons, because once you start talking about demons and shedding the light in the darkness, they get uh, very active in your life. Um, I was at a prayer. A meeting yesterday with some local clergy, and uh, something that I said caused another a, a local pastor to say to me, "Is like you've been at war, haven't you?" And I said, "Yes, it has been an active couple of weeks on the battlefield. You start poking at the demons and showing, lifting up rocks, and uh, showing people where they're hiding and how they're acting toward you in your life. They tend to get a little angry, uh, so." Uh, it, it's been enjoyable, nevertheless. Um, and today, we I think we're going to talk about um, 
Logis me and the Pira's me, which we've talked about before, the the words and kind of that white that white noise, the the salt and pepper that you and I remember on televisions with rabbit ears when we were children before before cable and uh, wireless phones were ubiquitous. But um, and back when television had an end, you got to a certain time uh, of the night, and it, remember everything <laughs> stopped. Like it, you yeah, get the multicolored bars on the screen and the dial tone. Like even if you yeah. wanted to stay up and waste the rest of the evening, you couldn't. Uh, and I think that's you know that you've come uh, to the end of the broadcast day. Yeah, yeah. So like now, go to sleep. You know, like this. There's nothing worth staying up for, and and there still isn't anything worth staying up for. But you just have things you could fill that time with, unfortunately. Um, and you know what's Reruns interesting of is the Bachelor and MTV nonsense, oh, right? Oh, does MTV still exist? Yeah, they don't play music, but all right, so they they don't exist. The name yeah. still exists. It's, it's attached defunct. to something. Yeah. Okay. I haven't, had cable. I haven't had cable in years. It has not been, it's not been a worthwhile expense. You know, we've got kids, we've got real expenses. Dropping money on a commodity like that is just not worth it. Because we can I know a hundred bucks a, a month for 10,000 channels of which you watch four of them, maybe an hour to a week, just the return on that investment just ain't there. No, it's not. We, 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 you know, we pay for Wi-Fi and then we use Roku. And we can stream, you know, all sorts of stuff. And it's, we don't, we don't keep the TV on during the week. TV is a a weekend only thing. Um, So it's like for given that it's, we don't let it stay on. We don't let the kids watch during the week. So, and we didn't, which means we don't watch it. So, I mean, why pay for that? Um, Right. I mean, the Wi-Fi we need because we've got to do internet stuff. So stream Roku and be done with it. Um, But the one of the things and this is not our topic today so i don't want to derail but one of the things going with that end of the broadcast day theme i, I see memes where people are like oh people they show I, I saw a meme once where like they're on it's a black and white photo from some old new york subway car and everyone's reading a newspaper and it, it said some snarky like oh remember back in the old days where people uh were social and interacted with each other and like it's the 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 purpose of the meme is to say, see how is that different than us all looking at our phones? Well, the difference is the end stage, um, because a newspaper has an end to it, and not only does a newspaper have an end to it, no one was really interested in all the sections of a newspaper. So you know maybe you really only want the news section or the sports section or the comic section, and once that section is done, you're done. Like there was an there was an there was a, a an end to the newspaper day and people would share be like hey are you going to read the business section no not not even interested and they would share it so there there was yes you could cocoon a little bit but there was it was a finite cocooning versus you can hop on your phone and never hop away you could waste the whole day on it it doesn't end so th- there's a big difference but that is for another day uh, we so you said today we are talking about logismi and pirasmi and then you did not tell our non-Greek speaking listeners what those words mean. And uh, logismi are of course thoughts, but not like the the fathers are really clear. It's not the sort of I'm thinking in my head, having ideas, inner monologue thoughts. That's it's a it's a technical term, that's not what they mean. Logismi are the intrusive neurotic thoughts that are the the seed that leads to the seedling, which grows into the tree of sin. 
These are the things that are, these are the little temptations, and that's what pirasmi means. These are the little temptations through which the demons enter into the battleground of our soul and hope to push us astray and off the mark. Uh, The fathers are, if you read any Orthodox spiritual manual, uh, the thoughts are the first subject because if, if you can cut if you can cut the inclination to sin off at the stage of the initial provoking thought, then you just don't end up down that road to begin with. Um, it's the easiest stage to pull back at, uh, and it's the initial stage. So uh, what did you have in mind on this subject? Well, I think I think that's how we got on the television. As I said, the static, but anyway, but that that's what the Piras me is, right? It's that 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 point during the day when you can't even think where your brain just seems blank and the thoughts that you want to have aren't there the thoughts that you don't it's just like a, a blank slate where any sort of transmission that wants to come in or out ain't there right but we, we talked about this when father damick was on because he he had mentioned that that the ancients didn't look at the mind as a, a uh, like a box that just already had ideas in it that were its own, but rather as like an antenna. We'll just stay on on either a radio or an old analog television signal where where you've got an antenna that's receiving signals and it needs to be tuned in to the right place to get the right message, uh, whether that be uh, from the Lord and and godly things and your mind is tuned in there or it's tuned in to to life and whatever demonic interference or messaging is coming in at that point. That's what I wanted to talk about because um, I like I like Jordan Peterson and there's on YouTube a discussion that he had with a, a, a philosopher by the name of uh, Slavo Zizek, who is a think Slovakian, if I recall. It's on YouTube. No, Just that's, a, that's a good Irish name. That's He's not Slavic. That's, that's definitely an Irish name. It's not? It is oh. absolutely an Irish name. I was so mistaken. It didn't seem to have an Irish accent, but he was, he I'm was glad to know. a little green hat and looking for a pot of gold. It's Irish. Oh, well, you bring the gold and I'll bring the paint. Uh, <laughs> that is an old joke. Anyway, um, so that, the, the YouTube talk was... A debate between the two of them. It was is a great debate to listen to because they're both brilliant. It's called Marxism. Just type in Marxism, Zizek, which is Z I Z E K, and Peterson, and it'll come right up. And it's it's enjoyable to watch. But anyway, in the in that uh, YouTube video, uh, Jordan Peterson said something that really got me thinking because of his uh, his background in. In, in the sciences, particularly the, the psychological sciences. But he said this, I quote, I think people are possessed by ideas that are not theirs and personalities that are not theirs, which is way worse. These personalities give rise to the ideas that freedom is found in maximizing moment-to-moment to moment hedonistic pleasures. Watch yourself as if you do not know who you are or by what you are ruled, then notice the times that you know that you are where you should be. And that got me thinking, and you and I were talking about it uh, before, uh, it got me thinking really about 
how much of what he is describing, and we can't know that without talking to him, maybe someday we'll have him on the podcast, but how much of that that he's seeing in his patients and he's seeing in the literature is Logie's me and actually the personality of the demon that's tormenting you coming out? That that was my question. That's what I would love to talk to you about because I notice that when when I get real angry or when I buy into to the Logie's me in my life, boy oh boy, that that it it's not it's me acting, but it's me acting on on a, according to a wavelength that ain't really mine all the time. It, it's like a signal being pumped in that I'm just buying into and not even paying attention to or noticing that it's that it's really be coming from somewhere else, if that makes sense. Well, yeah. And the, the other thing with that is too, when you're talking about, when you're talking about um, the covenant with Yahweh versus the, kind of covenant that is formed with demons. And and let's be clear, when you're talking about sin, that's really what it is. You are either, it, it, it is in this sense a little bit binary. You, there is nothing neutral, so things are a little bit binary. So you are either participating in the covenant with the triune God that uh, created the universe, or you're participating in some sense in the works of these demons. So that's why, like, for example, St. Paul, he sets it out that way, and he's like, look, um, you know, uh, why do we have, why is everything lawful for us, and why uh, why do we have this freedom? Well, because there is no law against, you know, love, patience, kindness, generosity, so forth. Against such, there is no law. You know, so it's, um, but he talks about the glorious freedom of the sons of God. Well, I mean, so in, in the covenant with God, believe it or not, despite the fact of what the propaganda says, and despite the fact that, yes, there are indeed canons and rules and commandments that say where the, bar, the boundaries of those uh, of, of the covenant lies, there's freedom. You, you know, in not giving, in not giving sway to uh, your impulses to anger or your impulses to overeat or drink or uh, you know, gratify yourself physically with, you know, wherever the whim takes you, you're actually free to determine what you do. It's like, okay, you know, yes, I want to get mad, but I'm free to be loving instead. I'm free to be patient instead. Um, and what's interesting is the more people who buy into the, the demonic propaganda of, uh, of kind of do what you will, right? Do whatever you want, gratify whatever you want. Well, you notice they're, 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 they ultimately end up not very free. Like they can't control themselves. They can't not get angry. They can't not eat. They can't, um, you know, they, they're out of, they have no say whether they are kind or merciful or forgiving because there's their circumstances and the things around them that dictate it. I am kind and loving to you because you made me act kind and loving. I am being uh, friendly and nice to you because your behavior warrants it versus me saying, no, this is the way that a Christian behaves. This is the way the image and likeness of God presents itself, regardless of what the outside circumstances may be. And again, that's where Paul says, I have learned the secret of contentment, that uh, whether I am in free or in prison, whether I am in uh, plenty or in want, whether I am hungry or well-fed, 
I have contentment in all things. It's it's, the, it's that level of choice. And make no mistake, the um, the tyranny uh, of the demons in the ancient world started with the idea that you really don't have a choice. The strongest force in ancient mythology was fate, was anangis, which is which is um, necessity or fate. You know, that was the, that was the thing that nothing could break. Like even in ancient mythology, right? You go to um, the Odyssey, like Poseidon's a god, but he can't stop Odysseus from getting home. He can only delay him. Why? Because it's fate. Not even the gods could break fate. Well, that really means what that really boils down to is you don't have any agency. You don't have any control. You're just born this way. You have no choice. This is just who you are. And what's really interesting is when the devil tells us that this is just who we really are, it's always in the darkest, most sinful moments. It's like, yep, this is really who you are. This is living your authentic self. It's never like, oh, your most authentic self is prayerful and holy. And that, that's not the message the devil wants to send. Um, and we have to understand that when we're looking at the very fact, and, and, and I've heard Jordan Peterson talk about that same idea in other places about your thoughts. And he's right because um, we have all these thoughts and we have dreams and we have all, and we're like, where did that come from? And we don't really know. Like people just, people, everyone's had in some fear or another, sphere or another has had the experience of like an idea just coming to you. And you're like, oh, I had an epiphany. I know, well, where did it come from? And we've lost sight as a culture of the fact that the very first the, the very ground zero of the spiritual battle, the very, the very, you know, the very primal ground of the spiritual battle is our minds and our souls. That's where it starts. Whether you're talking about um, the good things, because the fathers do speak about that too, about the good influences that, uh, that the Holy Spirit and the saints and angels offer us, or the temptations of the devil, the, the, the first battleground is our mind. And we want to, the devil wants us to externalize that and say, and look first at like, okay, well, where's the evil in society? Where's the evil in government? Where's the evil in my, in my neighbors and my neighborhood? No, 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 man. Look right into your own heart. And I'll, I'll close that thought off with uh, St. Maximus, the confessor. He says, the human heart is a wild and vast place. There lies the kingdom of heaven. Uh, there lies the kingdom of heaven and paradise and the angels and saints and mountains, but there also are the depths and darkness and wild beasts and hell. You know, it's like, that's the first and foremost battleground. Um, so we'd be remiss if we're telling all these people to go and live an exorcistic life and go and see the quality and see the totality of their life as a spiritual battle. If we, didn't also say that it starts right in your own head and heart. It, you know, it's not, we're not telling you to go out and find what's wrong with everyone else. We're telling you to go in front of your, in front of your spiritual father and go to confession and figure out what's wrong in you. And that's where you start. So I'm, I'm thinking about what you said about uh, Satan, you know, like trying to accuse us and keep us down. But that that's where, I think in our, in in America anyway, having been overwhelmed uh, to one degree or another by kind of the theological idea that that people are born depraved, right? That that word it's not accepted by all in in the Christian uh, West, but the the idea or at least the notion is pr pretty 
much present across a wide spectrum. And, and once you accept that as a theological truth, that man is born sinful and that he's born destitute, that he's born without any possible chance of, of any sort of goodness whatsoever. I mean, the devil's got you in an armbar, man. To use a, a jujitsu term where he's got your, he's got your arm extended. And if you don't tap, he's going to snap your arm in half here at, at the elbow. He's got you in a tough spot. Well, it's only as tough as we make it. I mean, you know, the the problem with the problem with that line of thinking is it's as with everything, as with everything, it's not that you can't cherry pick verses from various parts of the scripture and come to a conclusion. I mean, it you know, there's so many movements that are not Christian that can cite the Bible for why they do it. I mean, you know, Arius, right, the the the, pri- the primordial heretic of the early centuries. I mean, he was, he, he had plenty of scripture to quote. Like, he could back his theological position up with a lot of quotes, but it still wasn't proper. It still wasn't true. The devil, when he tempts Jesus, quotes scripture, and he doesn't lie. He quotes mess- messianic scripture to the Messiah. I mean, you know, like by our modern American standards, his argument would would be quote unquote biblical, except it's still a lie. So you can use right. the truth and still tell a lie. The devil's really good at it. So don't don't think like, oh, I'm gonna cowboy it and do this Christian thing by myself and I'll be fine. Um, you've got you know, there there's this prime there's this preternatural cosmic entity out there that is a specialist in using the truth to tell lies that can go up against the son of God. What makes you think you're going to get in the cage with him on your own and stand a chance apart from the grace of Christ? It's the thing that the devil can't stand is humility is obedience to the covenant with God. Because when we, when we, unite ourselves to Christ when we put when we put on Christ to use Paul's term then it's not me who lives but I who lives in me now he can't stand against that he can't stand against Christ so the question is is he coming up against Joe or is he coming up against Christ and if we're doing it on our own steam we're in trouble but so it's not that the idea that oh we're we're just we're depraved and everything it's not that they can't quote scripture but it doesn't take the whole t- the totality of scripture into whole and it's really telling that no one has that idea until the 16th century it's like so it, like so it's like well, where was that the whole time then versus what else does god say about us well what else god says is you're made in his image and likeness that you are called to be the sons of god uh it's first peter do you not know that you are called to be partakers of the divine nature and we have this sin problem that is hobbling that so let's fix the sin problem and then, uh, you know, get to what John's gospel says. He, that to as many as you believed, he gave the power to become sons of God. And Romans, all of creation groans like a woman in travail, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. You don't think the devil wants to stop that revelation? I mean, for crying out loud, it's what undoes him. Um, but look at that. Look at the determinism there. Look at the anangi, the necessity. You were just depraved. Well, that's just who you are at your core. Why get up and try? Well, and it also negates the words of St. Maximus that you uh, so eloquently uh, told us that that within the heart is both the potential for God and the angels and all good and evil. 
St. Maximus clearly understood that, that we are created in God's image and there is within us as the image and the creation of God some good and a capacity for the good. That it's not completely devoid of anything good whatsoever. And, and this, is, this is a tactic of the devil to rob us of our anthropology, to rob us of who we are in Christ, that who he created us to be. I mean, he's he's a thief. Yeah, when and he I'm, does that. Yeah, and I mean, of course, right? Like people from that school, they would say, "Oh, well, doesn't Scripture say that all of our good works are like filthy rags before Him?" Yeah. Well, he's kind of. I mean, when you compare the penultimate with anything else, of course, it's going to look less and well, be less, exactly, right? Exactly. If you put me on a basketball court with Michael Jordan, and I'm the best basketball player in Wyoming or Wyoming for that matter, and you put me up against Jordan, this is obviously a weak analogy. I'm going to get punked right out. No, it's not a weak analogy because if, no, even at Michael Jordan's age right now, he would still whip you. He would. Yes. He would still. Yes, he would. He would outplay you. Uh, he he wouldn't even have to try, and he's like he's probably old enough to be our dads, you know. I, I mean, it, it, but maybe it, yours, millennial. Oh, careful! I'm going to need to say. We keep I'm throwing that need, word I'm around like it's a pejorative. I'm, I'm I have a lot of uh, friends who are millennials, and I really appreciate space. I'm going to need. I appreciate millennials. If you keep, you know, the millennials that. I hang out with. Uh, forgive that bump; it was my desk. But the millennials I hang out with are not like participation trophy types. They're actually probably tougher than our little uh, Generation X. We're we're kind of wimpy uh, compared to the uh, some of these millennials. Some yeah, of these millennials it's, it's, it's are all the, it's all the sugary cereal and tough and bunch of dudes. But uh, that we had, but no, but so, but well, like I mean, like Tyson, right? Like I wouldn't, not even on his worst day, would I get into the ring with Tyson even now. Like he would knock me out. So, but here, but but here's the thing, right? Like it, it's. Yes, if you compare yourself to the penultimate, to the to the ultimate, naturally by comparison. But even forget about that. Like, look at Christ's other analogy. Well, if you had, if you had filthy rags, well, what would you do with them? Well, you you wash them, right? And what is the entrance into the Christian life? But baptism or washing, you know. And, and Christ, when he encounters the filthy raggednesses of his apostles, what does he do? He washes their feet. It's like, it's not saying that this thing is useless. It needs to be cleaned up. Let it do what it's designed to do. Once the filthy rags are washed, like he washes the feet, like he washes us in baptism, now it's a useful instrument for service. But you see, but you see the way the, the devil wants us to look at these things in a certain way and look at his end game. The end game is for us to think, oh, well, there's nothing for me to do. I just can't help it. I'm no good. I can't, you know, uh, and, and up against that sort of determinism most people fold and they could get out onto the battlefield and do some good um but they'll just stop themselves they, they won't even get out there themselves to hold themselves back i mean it, it's it, we're, we're talking about we're talking about something that is cunning baffling and powerful but what is within us is greater than that malignant force amen Here's a exa personal example. I woke up, I don't know, probably four o'clock this morning in the, and I was having, and I don't typically remember dreams, but I wake up and I'm having this dream that I'm in, in, in an ancient Greek temple surrounded by uh, temple prostitutes and somebody who I could not see with my eyes and my 
in the dream was dragging me to participate in in occultic ritual and i was like and i i remember pushing back it's like no no i'm not participating in in this this is not who i am absolutely not i am not participating with you demonic force i remember having that thought and then that that hand trying to drag me into participating with with the god or goddess whoever it was became more forceful it was like absolutely not i'm not participating in this demonic act absolutely not and it was like this battle until i woke up i thought oh my goodness we're going to be talking about this today on the podcast and here and now i'm having a logismos in the form of an image but still something that's not mine i hate pornography i hate that even that idea of participating in that sort of stuff by god's grace i think it's disgusting but i wake up having this image of myself being led to participate in a demonic act on purpose i mean so it it, it happens and i knew it wasn't me i knew i didn't want to participate but what if i had in the dream gone along with it then what I don't know. It was a dream, right? You could say, oh, it's a dream, Father Joseph. Relax. Yeah, but like, look at the we prayers. We still have to fight against Vespers. it. Look at the prayers we say in Vespers. Protect us against every evil fantasy that lurks in the night. But you're saying, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. I mean, just my own personal experience just this morning, just a few hours ago, I had I had a, a logismos, a, a vision, a, a set of, of words an idea, a confusion that was not my own. That's how we started this with, uh, with that Peterson quote. You know, people are ruled by, by thoughts and personalities that are not theirs. Whether that's me living vicariously through the Kardashians or that's me living or the demons living vicariously through me because I'm sinful. Well, and to make things more interesting, right? Like if you read, uh, if you read the book of Jubilees, um, you know, it makes it clear that so it makes it clear book of Jubilees, which th that's something. No, it's not scripture. Right. Uh, there is the compendium of. Second Temple yeah. Yeah. It's it's one of these books that was very popular, that was around at the time of Christ. Part of the Second Temple, uh, you know, compendium didn't make its way into scripture, but kind of like authoritative Christian literature in our own time, it tells you what people were thinking and how they understood the spiritual landscape. And, um, you know, it talks about God only allowing a small portion of the unclean spirits that exist to actually be free upon the earth. But what's interesting is that they're the only, he only allows that because it's through their machinations that people turn to repentance. So it's like, so their punishment is actually being locked here with us. It's they're we're they're not a punishment for us. We're a punishment for them, because despite their best efforts, all of their all of their best efforts to wage war on God end with them being defeated. It's it's Sisyphus pushing a boulder up a hill until the second coming. All of their best efforts. Every time their temptation leads us to pray. Every time their um, their cruelty leads us to be forgiving and, and so forth. 
they're undone a little bit. It's it's uh, it's like on those cartoons, right, where the villains set a trap for Bugs Bunny or whoever the hero is, and that's the very trap they fall into. That's the you know they 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 want to set an explosive and you know whatever, and that's what ends up blowing them up. It's they go after us, and they're undone by Christ turning that to the good, where sin abounds, grace abounds even the more. Uh, so it's, again, they're being undone by our hands. When we look at those thoughts, we look at, uh, we look at the temptations, we look at all these things, and then we turn to Christ instead. You know, they, they, they get to relit, they get to be retormented by how powerless they truly are in Christ, up against Christ. Um, the only way they can make any headway on that is by convincing us to cooperate. That's it. But they, they can't do more. They can't do more. Um, you know, a- animals don't participate in this, right? The animals don't have the agency to really be evil. Animals can be aggressive or they can be docile, but, the, the, but you know, virtue and evil don't enter into it. And then human beings, they can't really force us to do anything. And once we're into, once we're hip to their game, they're undone. I mean, imagine, imagine your torment being, you know, you're, you're a vast cosmic entity and you get to see how powerless you really are over and over and over until you're finally cast into the pit. I mean, it's right. Yeah. But we think about it the other way. We think, oh, they're here to torment us. No, 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 no. No, no, well, they are, but they're even when they're tormenting us and we're buying in, I think they suffer. And then when we choose God over them, they really suffer. Yeah, they're undone at our hands. They're undone. Well, they're undone by Christ through us, by Christ in us, by right. Christ in our hands. Like all their their best machinations consistently come to nothing and blow up in their own face. That's the idea. And where it starts is the thoughts. I, I've I've told this story a great many times. Of uh, I've told the story a great many times of how many people uh, I've ever seen who, who don't come from Orthodox backgrounds, but who will tell me, for instance, that their divorce started with a thought. Like I mean, they will use that term. They'll be like, "Hey, I ended up divorced, and I've been we've been having problems, and we had this fight, and then suddenly the thought pop, popped into my head: What if we were divorced?" and could have pushed it out, but I thought about it some more and thought about it some more. And that colored how I reacted to things the next day. And, and it, but it all hinged on how that thought was mismanaged. Now to say that doesn't mean that someone wouldn't have ended up divorced, for instance, through some other series of events. But if we look at the tragedies in our life, we can look and say, oh, wow, it all started with a thought, you know? Um, you know, I, I mean, you look at anything I, I can tell you right now, like, you know, any time where I've been short-tempered, it's all started with some thought that I didn't push out fast enough. Or, you know, my my my, my last drink was on February twenty-fifth of twenty twenty. That was that was that was the last time uh, I had a drink, and a lot of stuff blew up in my face, and I had to get sober after that. I should have got sober a long time before that. But guess what? That day's foolishness started with. It started with a thought. It started the thought with the thought that yes, this is a this is an okay thing to do, and I can get away with it, and it'll be fine, and I deserve it, and you know what, and all the rationalizations that come with it. But had I not mismanaged that, I might not have cracked open those cans those days. Now again, where sin abounds, grace abounds even the more, because now I'm sober. Now I'm able to help people who struggle that way because I can be honest about it. I'm a better husband, father, and priest. 
I mean, there's a lot of great things that come out of it. Um, but you know, again, it starts with those thoughts. And I, I mean, even a sponsor will tell you that a sponsor will tell you that, uh, your relapse starts months before the next drink. It starts with the resentments and thoughts that you're keeping in your head. So even purely non-Orthodox sources know that, um, the, the white noise in our heads is the first battleground, um, which like, if that's the case and you know that, then like, what's up with not just the thoughts we entertain, but the things that we put in the material we put in front of our eyes, the things we put in our ears, that all becomes part of that. Um, you know, I, I, it's, it's, uh, gosh, I mean, I'm, I'm tempted to quote St. Anthony the Great, you know, he's like, I, I beheld the traps of the devil spread throughout the world and close to despair. I asked God who can make it through this. And God replied, the humble and the repentant. And that's where it starts. So there's, there's hope, but not if we give into the thought of pride and hubris, which in ancient mythology, hubris is what undoes every hero. And if Odysseus's thought that he could, uh, you know, that he could tell the Cyclops his name, right? If he had thought, if he had not thought that he could get away with that, his whole crew would have survived. I mean, it, it, it does boil down to this first battleground that's in your head and your heart. I like that by St. Anthony. He, but I mean, the, and what did he see? I mean, what are the traps of the devil? I mean, he, he's, he's clearly set traps in our society and, and we've, and our society, either willing or kneeling, has stepped into the traps. Willing or kneeling, shout out to Father Pentiuk. Father Eugene Pentiuk, thank you for that one, my friend. Um, but by the way, no, for, any, for anyone for anyone uh, inclined to check it out, kneeling is actually a word. We we looked it up. It is, yeah, because it, in as most of you or many of you or some of you have heard, it's often said willy nilly. But uh, Father Eugene liked to be contrary at times, and he would say wheeling or kneeling, which is equally correct, just more archaic. Um, but I mean, how many how many demonic traps have been set, and now we now we suffer because the demons have been set free to have rule over certain parts of our lives. I mean, in, in my life, I know that probably in yours, and, and there is some scriptural context to this, that, that, that the sins of a father will pass down through generation. Not that I'm guilty for my father's sins, but that if he unleashes demonic forces into his family, other people are going to suffer. And it might take generations to get rid of great, 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 great grandfather's submission to the thought. Well, and yeah, and, and the, the rubber meets the road on that. In again, you know, it's we 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 participate in what actions, energies. So, um, and and so, like when Saint Gregory Palamas talks about uh, essence versus energies, that's the word energy means working actions. That's what that is. So uh, when he says, you know, God is unknowable in His essence, but we know Him by His energies, His actions, and that's paraphrased. That's also what Paul talks about. Saint Paul talks about in the Book of Romans. He says that God is known through His works, through His creation, and 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 so and and the Psalms say the same thing. 
Oh Lord, how marvelous are you in all your works? Well, so it's okay. So that's what we participate in. So once we've acquiesced to the thoughts, once we've let them get their, their talons in, um, it leads to the actions that then make those thoughts easier in the future. Like if you're giving in to the thoughts of anger, right? That leads to the actions that will make it easier to be angry and resentful in the future because other people around you will also be angry and then you'll get angry back. Like, you know, your, your, your wife's temper will get bad and then you'll get more mad and you'll feel guilty. So you'll, it's, it's more comforting to feel upset than it is to feel guilty. So you'll feel mad at her for being mad at you. And then the kids start to think that mad is how you react to things. So they, when those thoughts tempt them, they're going to look and go, well, yeah, that's the way you behave. So, I mean, it's not, I, I, I want to break it out that way because there, there really is a, a concrete successive line, but I don't want it to seem like it's just some ethereal download that'll just happen into our great grandkid's head. Um, it's no, it's like you're, you're, you're leading the, these demonic influences lead to a series of actions that then lead back to those things, back to those same temptations being more easily acceptable. So what then does Christ call us to? He calls us to repentance. Repentance, actual repentance, it's metania, which is a changing, a turning around of the noose or the heart, a changing of the mind, not just the thoughts, but the deepest innermost core. And if we're changing at the deepest innermost core, then the rest of our lives change as well. So guess what? That means the actions change, which means the actions, energies, influences that we have that we are inviting into our existence and into our family's existence are what accords with the fruit of the spirit. It's not just about behavior for behavior's sake. It's about, no, this is, this is all part. The behavior is in a sense, it's ritual participation. We are ritually participating in the, um, in the inner life, in the thought life, in the inner life, which we have chosen to cultivate. So, I mean, that's why, you know, if you see people who are miserable in their heads, they're doing pretty miserable things a lot of the time. If you see people who are kind and loving within their heart, people who are following Christ, their actions match up with that. And that's why one of the biggest criticisms that Jesus has, one of the biggest rebukes he can level is hypocrisy. Your heart and your actions don't match. You're lukewarm and I will spew you from my mouth. But that's why. So think, start to think of your actions. You know, we talked about, we, we're talking about the heart as the primary battleground. And we've talked about exorcism in general. But think about the actual life lived as the ritual participation in that reality. And then ask what you're ritually participating in. And the life, life is ritual. It really is. Um, Are you brave enough to do it? Well, uh, that's my question to myself every day lately is like, do you have the courage to participate? Because it's easy to be lukewarm, man. I'm so, so sorry to everybody out there that wants to live a, a nice moralistic life, but ain't going to cut it, guys. Because um, well, that's who Jesus was pushing back on. Well, and, and you're not really going to be that moral. You're not well, really going to be that moral. Because you can certainly yeah. buy that lie because God gives each of us virtues. Each of us has strengths that come naturally to us. And if we look at those things as, as the ultimate of where my life could be, I've missed the boat. Those things are graces in my life that, that should be flourishing, of course, but they cannot, we cannot 
missed the very fact that some of the places where we struggle the most are the very virtues that the Lord wants us to perfect and that will perfect us and those around us. And that's not easy because that's going to force me to ritually participate in the Lord, like you just said. And it's going to take courage for me to do it because it's going to hurt like hell to do it. It's not going to be comfortable. Well, yeah. And I mean, scripture and scripture says, you know, no correction is pleasant at the time, but afterwards it yields abundant fruit. You know, broad, broad and easy is the way that leads to perdition, but narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. So, I mean, hard and narrow, Jesus even says. And even if he does say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, it's still a yoke. <laughs> and a burden is still something you carry. You don't have to do it alone. Right. You're doing it through his grace. But let's let's be clear. Like, this is not going... It's good that it's not easy. It really is. Um, because we weren't made for ease. We were made to be sons of God. You know? And yeah. but there's but there's joy in that. That's and that's the thing that we we've got we've got to we've got to uh, really insist on because the 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 temptation of the devil, the temptation of the logis me and the thoughts, is that we'd really be happier doing it their way, right? That uh, you know, we'd really be happy doing it their way. We won't really be happy doing it God's way. Meanwhile, the end result of their way is you are, you know, you're miserable and you're miserable and you're a slave to whatever impulse works its way through. Your life is pretty unmanageable. You become selfish and self-centered. Um, you know, it's all those fleeting pleasures are pretty ersatz are pretty unsatisfying. Um, versus, yeah, the hard way that's God way, but at the end of it, there's a great deal of joy. You know, one of um, one of my favorite recovery speakers is Danny Trejo. A lot of people don't know Danny Trejo. He's, if you've seen him, he's 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 a bad guy and extra in a lot of in a lot of movies. He's uh, he's you know he, he's a, a Mexican from Southern California. He's got tattoos everywhere and the tattoo uh, he's got him. Sorry, the ponytail uh, in, in Antonio Banderas in Desperado. He's the guy who's throwing knives and he gets like killed. Well, he's been sober for like 52 years and he's a great recovery speaker and he speaks about it a lot. And he says really, uh, he says very emphatically, everything good that's happened in his life has happened as a direct result of helping someone else. And he's, he is emphatic about that in his talks that like his life only got good when he stopped focusing on himself. Well, look at that. Look at that. That, that, you know, once you stop, once you stop the self-focused logis me and you start loving your neighbor as yourself, even I don't know if the man is a Christian, but if he's participating in the good, there's no there's no grace outside of Christ. So if he's participating in the good in some way, Christ is allowing him to participate. Christ is allowing him to participate in his grace, that there are still good things for this person made in the image and likeness of God. Why? Because he's doing the right thing. He's doing the right thing. He's he is he is stepping out of himself, and Christ is honoring that. That's a beautiful thing. He says it flat out, everything good in my life, anything good has only come as a direct result of helping someone else, which means, which means you've got to get out of your own thoughts because your thoughts, the logis me offer to you will tell you to not worry about this person. You've got better things to do. 
Um, it's inconvenient. Uh, you don't want to do that, blah, blah, blah. And if you listen to those thoughts, there's nothing good down that road. And for someone who wants to be 52 years sober, that's not the, that selfish road isn't the road you go down. Um, I'm going to look at that. I mean, there's a perfect example, even outside of standard orthodox, um, of standard orthodox material, where you're looking and saying, yeah, the self-centered road leads to death. The selfless road leads to life. And, you know, so there you go. I mean, there's a perfect example. Life is, is suffering in, in a lot of ways. And if you set out to, to find happiness and your goal is to be happy, I think you've completely missed the mark. Because I think that happiness and joy are the result of, of suffering, that, that the joy and the happiness that we find in the midst of the struggles and suffering of life, like we say in our lead-in, that, that the potential for hope, the potential for love, the potential for joy, these are all graces that, that come into our lives through, through the outpouring of the energies and grace of God. In, in the midst, in the midst of the of the suffering and the decay and the onslaught of the demons, because the demons want us to believe that this world is just completely awful, and we should just do whatever we can to find that little tiny piece of happiness or joy. But even that thought is is a diabolical lie, to me, because it's in the midst of that suffering that I see that I see what life will be like without Christ. And then those flashes of joy, those flashes of hope come in and they feed us for the next round. And, and I think you can see, I, I know that you see this in many of the saints. Uh, Saint Job, for example, Abraham, David, uh, modern, more modern saints, uh, Theophon, and um, what's the other one, the Archimandrite, uh, Zacharias's uh, great spiritual grandfather, uh, so on. These, these people have moments where they encounter God, like Moses on the mountain, and then they live 40 years in the desert. But that one moment, that one moment of God's grace triumphs and washes out the next 40 years of pain and suffering and still makes him want God. It's, it's an amazing thing that the God's even a moment of God's grace can outlast, outendure, and motivate the soul to such a degree that forty years of suffering seems worth it. Well, yeah, and, I mean, look at the yeah, but I mean, well, like look again, look at let's let's look at the analogy. I mean, that's the that's the nature of unsats, ersatz, unsatisfying things. You know, sin is never satisfying, not really, not at the end. You need more. You need more. You know. Um, what are you everyone, saying, man? That, uh, yeah. I, I know that's true. I mean, yeah, you always need more to get back to the same place. Like yeah, with so any, I mean, like, with any I mean, drug addiction where you start with a little bit of cocaine, eventually you're doing, I don't know how much it takes, but enough to continually more and more and it, and it saturates and, yeah, and eventually you, know, you OD. You, yeah, if you've got a drinking problem. I mean, it's, gonna, it's like any, any, yeah, it's like, oh, well, it's never enough, right? It's never enough because it doesn't actually satisfy. But, you know, when, when we're led, when we're led, when we're led like a bull with a ring through its nose, 
um, around by our sins and our thoughts. We just think, oh, if I, well, if I could just get them to do this, if I could just get them to do that, if I could just get my way on this, if I could just have this pleasure or this desire, or whatever it is that I want, I'd be fine. And as soon as you get it, it, it it's, it, you know, it's fine for about a minute and then it's not enough. They need more. You need another, you need another, you need another. Whereas um, even the smallest grace of God, even the smallest answer of God, well, that's enough. And and I think that's where I think that's where people who who distance themselves from Christianity, who don't want anything to do with our faith, I, I think they don't get that because, like, well, okay, you had this experience when you were twenty, or okay, that happened a hundred years ago, or but what about today? It's like, but it's enough. My, we're, we're, let's like where where Paul hears God say, "My grace is sufficient for you." No, it really is. It really is. And that's that's the secret of contentment uh, that he talks about being content, whether he's whether he is hungry or well fed or in prison or free. It's like, no, it's like, yeah, the, the grace that I have is sufficient. What do I really need? More satiation, more more numbing down from it's like, no, like this is good. We're good. And what's interesting is like when we're there. That we find out that that grace and that that love, that joy is more that the the spirit is more abundant than we thought, and when we're clamoring to constantly be saturated and satiated and more and more and more, we don't value what we do get, and it's again, it's unsatisfying. It's never enough. Um, there was a uh, there was a movie. Gosh, what was it? It wasn't even a good. I, I don't really. Rem- I'm not sure. I remember the title. I just remember it wasn't even a really good movie. But it it involved it was it, it was years ago, but but it involved some look at, um, you know the the uh, the demon of um, uh, famine, and what was really interesting, the the movie's take on famine wasn't that it was like an absence of food, it was the inability to be satiated. It was like so you're going to keep eating and keep drinking because you feel like you don't have enough, and then you you'll, it'll kill you. <laughs> So it was like it was famine, but people were eating themselves to death. Oh, that, Be- that, because how yeah. good is that though? I mean, that's great. Yeah, it's actually it's actually really good. So like, yeah, they're eating themselves to death because like, oh, well, um, yeah, yeah, because they don't think it's enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. It wasn't. It wasn't a physical lack. It was the metaphysical uh, sense that it, it it doesn't match and measure up. Whereas, you know. Whereas, you know, Christ, when he comes to the woman at the well, he says, you know, he who drinks water, the water that I give will never thirst. Like, you're not going to need this constant revalidation. You're good. Now, um, he also says the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. So you get on this road, you're going to be good. But, um, you know, again, we're, we're soldiers. We're, you know, and that's, that's the language that Paul uses for Timothy. Be as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. For one who is enlisted does not entangle himself in civilian pursuits, but seeks to please the one who has enlisted him. That's Paul's language to Timothy for all those people who say that I'm too military because I do get that sometimes. Well, guess what? It's, it's scripture, man. Um, so yeah. It is scripture. And I mean, I, so, so, but that's, so it's going to, it's going to, yes, it's going to come with struggle and difficulty. And guess what? It's good. The struggle and difficulty is good. Are uncomfortable and good and good and good. And they take courage to stand up 
and do. I mean, I'm seeing this in my own life. I, I, I see that I have attachments to, to things, right? Here's, here's an example. Gosh, what year was it? Good Lord, it's been a long time, probably 10 years ago. I was washing a, a vehicle that we had in, in, the, in the driveway at seminary when we were there at the Barletta house. And I was washing the car. It was a beautiful summer day. And my, my oldest, who was at the time maybe four, picked up a handful of rocks to help. And I'll be dipped if I didn't love that truck more than my kid that day. So I yelled at him. I got real mad. And my son is still with me. You can probably hear the tears in my voice, but I still have my son. That, that stupid truck is in the, in the junkyard because of the salt and the chemicals they use on the road in the Northeast. But how shameful is that? And, and it takes courage to, to admit that I have those faults. It takes courage to admit that I gave in, uh, that I had an attachment to that stupid truck that was stronger than my attachment and my love for my child. It takes courage to today admit that I was wrong. It takes courage to not get angry over the stupid things because the demons, I've let them in and have control of my life so long that anger is easy. I mean, that that's suffering. And that's the kind of suffering that we have to endure for the Lord because it's overcoming the anger. It's becoming humble. It's avoiding and subduing the hubris. It's the repentance and looking someone that you love in the eye and say, hey, man, I am so sorry. I am a jerk, and I loved my truck more than you that day. And I have to bear that on my soul. But thank God that he forgives. And these are the logis me. These are the piras me. This is, this is where we're at on the battlefield, my friends, is that it's not good enough to say I'm good enough. It is not good enough to say I'm good enough. It, it has to be, I, all the things that I do, I'm not worthy of the Lord's love, but he loves me anyway. Now, how am I going to overcome and show other people that sort of transformative love in my life? You know, is it by walking past the homeless person while I'm having the logis me? It's like that bum deserves it. He's a jerk. He's an alcoholic. He's a drunk. He's a drug addict. He's whatever. But in some ways, in some ways, I was thinking about this this morning because I saw a guy and I was like, oh, geez, what a jerk. And I thought, wow, that, that is a logismos. Because that guy wasn't a jerk. I don't know if he's a jerk or not. He may be. But there's suffering in that man's life that is being inflicted on him that may be for his salvation. And in some ways, that suffering is gracious because it's hopefully drawing him to the Lord. And for me not to participate in that by offering a hand of understanding, by handing, offering a hand of, of, of love, by offering the hand of humanity to humanity, I'm, I'm just being demonic. By bowing my soul to the demonic logismos rather than to the Holy Spirit who offered that man to me that day to participate in his life to offer grace, just some personal anecdotes. Yeah. And well, I mean, but think about, you know, but think about what Christ says. So, I mean, the, so the reality is, right. The reality is when you do the right thing there, like you are, 
it, it really is an act of exorcism from every logismos, from every demon and evil influence that seeks to that that seeks to get its tendr- its talents and tendrils. And you know, when Christ says, "Do good to your enemies, and it will be like heaping burning coals upon their heads," well, where's the only other place a burning coal happens? on from one servant of God to another. It's in Isaiah's prophecy, right? It's like the seventh chapter or so of Isaiah where he has the vision of the Lord in the temple and the seraph goes and takes a burning coal from the altar and and Isaiah says, Woe to me I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips amidst a people of unclean lips. And the angel touches the coal to his mouth and says, Behold, this is touch your lips, taking away your iniquity, cleansing you from your sins. Christ is not talking about being passive aggressive or just buckling under things. He's saying well, he he's saying in no uncertain terms that when um that when we choose in the face of options to be good and loving even to our enemies, we're exercising them, we're purifying them, we're taking we're we're instead of looking at what this guy is doing, we're being merciful and taking and looking at the demonic influence that has led our brother astray. And we're exercising that and leaving the victim unharmed. It's another thing to, to, to look at them and say, you know, they are, forgive them, Father, they know what, not what they do. Like they're being, they're being led, they're being led astray by the, uh, by the pirasmi and the logismi, by the temptations and machinations of the evil one. And at least for right now, in this moment, I'll take the responsibility and take the kingdom of heaven by force and exercise that evil from the uh from the playing field i I mean you know again i i just wish it was talked about like that in those terms more because that's i think that's something that i think that's the first of all i think it's a more genuine way to approach the topic but i also think that it's easier it's more palatable you know because no one wants to be a doormat but it may but it feels so much more good to look at your enemy and be nice to him and say you got what you coming. You got what was coming to you. There's your coals on your head. It's almost like a vengeance, right? Well, not on which the is end. demonic in a, in and of itself that you're trying to have vengeance on your enemy through doing what God God is going to do. It's like his vengeance is mine. Yeah, as you don't to have vengeance right. through my scriptures, you fool. Right, as and, opposed and, to looking and saying, <laughs> as opposed to looking and saying, you're held captive by something that you don't even realize, and I'm going to get rid of it for you. We're in a clean house. I'm going to take care of you, and right. and then understand. Ask God that, to have mercy, right? Yeah, Pray yeah. for them because at some point I need the mercy on me. So uh, I'll get you today. You give me tomorrow. Yeah, Amen. Well, Father, look how I broken th- the logies me make us. I mean, I we know. just buy them like they're truth because it's what we want to hear. Or, or very well, proud. Yeah. Well, they they condition us to accept that, um, you know, and that's that's the that's so again the they glorious, are good at social engineering, aren't they? Absolutely. But the glorious freedom of the sons of God removes that necessity and that fate and that that um, determinism. The glorious freedom of the sons of God is foreign to that determinism, and that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, Father, uh, thank you for recording today. This was an excellent talk, and I do hope people will find us on Anchor FM as well as Spotify and Apple Podcasts and on social media. And tell us what you think and give us your thoughts. Not the logies me, but your thoughts. And pay attention to your own logies me and see if... 
maybe uh, you can make a little bit more headway in the trenches of the battlefield of your own soul. So everybody, thank you for joining us here on the battlefield. Until we see each other again, be strong, be courageous, and fight till your last breath, because they ain't got you till you're dead. Keep fighting the good fight. God bless you all. See you next time. Amen. Amen.